another hope-filled message from Life. For more information about our church, visit lifeau.org. How many know that 60 years has created some incredible life lessons? Yeah. Come on, 60 years has created some amazing God moments, and today we are... We're going to create an environment where we can glean from 60 years and hear a few stories. Anyone in for a few stories? We're going to start off with the youngest brother and his sister, so there's going to be some stories here. Why don't you take a seat? So good. Uh, this is Di. For those of you who don't know, this is Di Youngson, who is uh, Pastor Paul's oldest sister. And then we have Jonathan Diong down here. Sorry, Josh Diong. Uh, Jonathan's the other brother. There's too many J's and too many brothers. This is Josh Diong, who is Pastor Paul's younger brother. And I thought today it'd be great, because how many know that we have one, we've got uh, values, but we've got one unwritten value, which is a little bit of naughty. And uh, we can take that to extremes at times, but I thought it'd be great to hear from you, because I heard before it was a value, it was a characteristic. So uh, tell us some stories and some things you've learned. Um. Hey, there's been so many amazing things being said today about Paul, and I agree with them all completely. But I have lived with him. I lived with him in a house for 20 years, and I've done life with him now for 60 years. So I've, we've got lots of stories. But first of all, I'd again like to honour Paul, because he was an awesome brother to grow up with. He wasn't perfect, and he used to beat me around and, you know, do lots, <laughs> lots of things. But one of Paul's biggest things is, apart from millions of things, he's generous to a fault, okay? And being that generous, there's usually a couple of faults that come with it. <laughs> so I'm just going to highlight them today. When Be Paul, careful. <laughs> You're I in think the presence Paul of a doctor. was only about, I'm not sure, but sort of probably between the ages of four and 20, maybe. <laughs> no, just for a couple of, uh, just when he was very young, we grew up in a really large family, as you'd all know, or well, some of you might not know, because some of you might be here for the first time, but we, um, we were a Dutch family, so my parents were obviously Dutch, and Dutch people are great people, but they're not known to give a lot of wasted money, you know. So we would get our six, six pence, I think it was, in a week, so we could either go and buy an ice cream or lolly. But Paul, being the generous guy he is, not only to us, but to all of his friends, would be thinking, how can I be super generous? Unless I do the lawn seven times a week, you know. Like, how can I be super generous to my friends? So my mum and dad, um, who worked really hard and saved hard, they had this large flour tin, I think it was, because they were in baking, and they used to save all their half crowns into this tin. And it was actually, I found out later on in life that it was for their holidays. Well, Paul, from a very early age, found that tin. I think we all found it, actually. And would just think, I'd really like to, you know, buy a better Christmas present this year for somebody. Or, and he would, um, I wouldn't say steal, I would say. Just skip my inheritance early. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and I, I said to him earlier, like, you're, actually, my inheritance when it comes is going to be way bigger than yours now. 
So, but, but you know, he did it obviously out of the goodness of his heart. Um, and also, I think he wanted everyone to think he was just so cool and so good. Uh, <laughs> um, and then there was another um, little story, which is quite funny now when I look back at it. And I still can't believe that it actually happened. But we, we're only a year apart, so we're really close. I was only three months old when he was conceived, so I really missed out on a babyhood because of him. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get it all out there this morning. We need you, you some are healing to take place. You are on a couch with a doctor. So I think he was always very nice to me because, you know, he, he was, we were very, very close and we used to do a lot of things. And one day we'd gone into the city and I, I can't quite remember what it was, but I think it was sunglasses and I was looking at him. He said, would you really like those sunglasses? And I was going, oh, my gosh, they're amazing, but they're just way too expensive. I could never afford to buy these sunglasses. And Paul went off for a little wander and came back, and he goes, I've worked out a way. And I was going, really? <laughs> How can you get these cheaper? He said, I'll just change the price tags with a pair that were cheaper. Pre-salvation, pre-salvation, <laughs> pre-salvation. Modern day Robin Hood, take from the rich, give to the poor. That's what he does. And, and I'll just tell you one, I could tell stories all morning, but the other story I've got is when we were at, um, we were at a youth camp, okay, and it was a Saturday afternoon, and Paul was only about maybe 15 or 16, and he had bought this treasured motorbike. I think it was a 125 whatever, but he loved this motorbike and, it was, and a few other guys had motorbikes too. And he said, hey, Di, he said, we're going to go for a ride. Would you like to come with me? Would you like to hop on the back? And I was like, oh, of course, you know, anything to go out with the boys. It was like, and anyway, as we're driving, he, he was a speedster, okay? That was another fault that he had. <laughs> he used to, and I think, so his boys tell me, he still drives really fast. Anyway, we're on the back of this country road and I think it was before actually helmets had to be on you, but Paul had one helmet, and before we left, he said, Di, you put the helmet on. And I said, no, no, you put it on because you're driving. Well, anyway, we're going really fast down this road, and we go over this rise, and the road is covered with sheep, okay, covered with sheep. And, you know, Paul's generous spirit just thought he'd help the farmer out, and get five of them slaughtered that day. <laughs> and, I, and I often wonder, we actually ended up in hospital, but I often wonder, did they have roast lamb at camp for the dinner that night? <laughs> Josh, tell us some stories about growing up. Oh, again, it's been an amazing um, privilege to be Paul's brother and see many, you know, experiences together. But one particularly that I remember was, Many, many years ago, we decided as all the Diong boys to head away together. So there's four brothers, it was dad at the time, brother-in-laws, and our sons. And we all went away on a camping trip. And one particular story, I remember we were in Thames and just at the local supermarket there, buying some groceries for the camping. And uh, my son Caleb was with me at the time, and he was about seven years old. And Paul decided, hey, wouldn't it be great to do something a little different? So we saw this freezer at the supermarket that has all the ice in it, right? It's one of those white ones with the lid comes down. He says, why don't we put Caleb there in the freezer? And I'm like, 
what, it's my son, what are you doing to him? But, you know, all right, big brother, go along with it. So Caleb jumped in this freezer. We put the lid down. We walked away a little bit, and we waited. About 20 seconds later, someone opened the freezer to grab out a bag of ice, and Caleb comes jumping out at it. And they're like, what's going on here? But I tell that story because we see so much of Paul up on stage in terms of his amazing vision and all that. But Paul is so much fun to be around. And um, those who know him well, he's always up for a joke. That's why we have so many great people coming here. And there's so much amazing stuff about you, Paul, but just love the fun that you've brought to our family. It's been awesome. Thank you. Thanks, you, know what, uh, you know what I love about hearing stories like this is, is it reminds us that if we bring us to wherever we are, we can make it. You don't have to be someone else. And there's not a work you and a home you and a someone else you. There's just you. Yeah. And uh, if you would just be you and the God who created you, allow him to shine through, you can make a difference on a camping trip, on a motorbike, in church, wherever you go, you can make a difference. I want to encourage you, bring you to you tomorrow. Bring you to wherever you go tomorrow, to your university, yeah. to your work. That would be awesome. Can we give these guys a huge hand? and? We've got a message, I think, from the grandkids. So have a look at the screen, Pastor Paul. grandchild license there with the wig and stuff. I'm not sure all that, goes, but anyway. Hey, it is great to have Bex now Kanoa and Verity Tom, who have been, uh, have known Pastor Paul and the family basically all their lives. Like, they knew them before they, when they had last, different last names, and before they had children, and while they were still at school, and they've done a lot of journey. Went camping most summers together. You guys look well-adjusted for someone who went camping every summer with the Dion boys. Like, Still only coming right now. Just yeah. getting through it? Just, okay, yeah. just coming through, out of yeah. therapy? Awesome. Uh, we'd love to hear from you in terms of those camping days and the family times together, some stories and some things that you learned and gleaned and how it's affected your life. There yeah, I mean, there was lots of stories and lots of memories over the years. Um, but something that really stuck out to me was your ability to always speak words of life and not just encouragement, but words of future over all of us, over my brother and sister, over all us kids. And I think that's a real gift is that people can often not see kids, but speaking words to live into has such a profound effect on who we are and what we have become and things like that. But I remember one 
story in particular, I would have been, I don't know, in my early teens, and we were away camping, and I had just read, I think, the Da Vinci Code, and I got very fixated on end times, and I went to Revelation, wrote out all the numbers, and worked out a code, and obviously cracked when Jesus was going to come back again, I worked it out. <laughs> so just to confirm my theories, I thought I'd take it to the best person I knew, a pastor, so I got out of my tent, when and showed Pastor Paul, and looking back, I'm like, what was I thinking? But um, he has an amazing ability to see past a situation and actually see the heart of a person. And I think he saw my curiosity and my interest in the Bible and in that story and um, really directed me in the right way, which what I had come up with was quite ridiculous. But um, yeah, I think I've always appreciated that about you is your ability just to see the heart of people and not always just make a judgment on what's going on, but look at the person first. And I think that really reflects who Christ is, and um, I've really been encouraged and appreciated that, so thank you. Um, so yeah, our three families have done holidays together for years, and the families have become have become family, in a sense that we're not blood-related, but we have become family, and looking over our kids and looking retrospectively of what Pastor Paul has done is he's really spoken life into each of us. And he's spoken vision um, that our voice is valued and future that God's got a plan for us. And he's just said that consistently to each of us. And he said that differently in the different age groups from when we were like 10 to 20 to now in our 30s. But yet the message has been the same, that God has a plan, God has a call in our life, and that we can make a difference and our voice is valued. I remember um, like we'd be out on the boat on holiday and Pastor Paul would be like, oh, thinking of doing this series, and these are the kind of thoughts I'm thinking of sharing with church. What do you think? Like, what else should I say in there? I was like, I don't know. <laughs> but like, but it, it still said the voice of like, your voice is valued, and I want to know what you think, and what, um, you know, what you can, part you can play within church. It's been amazing. Very, tell us your tractor story, because I think that depicts Pastor Paul in different environments. Oh, yes. Yeah, well, there was actually a message you had spoke ages ago, because I don't remember all your messages, but... Um, there was one on, I, I mean, most of them, I've, I just, you know, go home and practice every night. I can't but, remember them from one week to the next, but anyway. <laughs> yeah. um, but there was one on not just looking, but seeing what's actually going on. And um, it was actually the other week, we were just up at the beach and a group of adults are talking and my son is standing there and not many people notice little kids, but Pastor Paul noticed my six-year-old son looking at a tractor and kind of left the conversation, got down on his level and said, hey, you notice the tractor, do you want to come for a ride or take you? And went and took him for a ride on his tractor. And I think that not only encouraged me as a mum, seeing someone encourage my son, but um, challenged me personally as to what I'm actually seeing in amongst normal everyday life. There is so much going on and so many little interactions we could be speaking life into and adding value to and seeing you live that out consistently um, without fail. Just always seeing those situations has encouraged but challenged me as well yeah so thank you yeah it's awesome imagine if imagine if hundreds of us everyone in this service and everyone in the last service and everyone in the next service learnt the lesson of taking time to value someone what would our world look like what would our unis look like what would our workplaces and neighborhoods look like if we took a Paul out of a Paul a page out of Pastor Paul's book and instead of just being busy with task we engaged with the one and spoke the God word into them. I reckon we could change our city by doing that. Can we give these ladies a huge, huge hand? They are awesome. Good point.
Most of us would have seen live TV and you see the finished product, but along the way there are some bloopers. And we've put together a highlight reel of live TV bloopers. Have a look at the screens. Check this out. Only one take, hopefully. Hey, welcome to Life TV. If you were raised down other, other, always incredible to heat. Sorry. Well, I'm really pumped today to have the privilege of welcoming Marie, my wife, here at Life TV. <laughs> what? Then you go. Oh, thanks. Well, it's a I'm nice so <laughs> really proud to be married to you. Okay. I'm happy. That was great. You're happy. I'm happy. Yeah. All right. Photo bomb. <laughs> And there's plenty of others that we couldn't show you. Like they, uh, it's so awesome. This is, the, this is the part that I'm most nervous about with these three boys up here. I'm, this is the part I'm most nervous about. But we've got Dan, Nathan, Luke, and Mama uh, up here. And Mama's we nervous too, just Ma saying. <laughs> we uh, we want to hear about family life, about what Dad has done for you, what Dad means. Good to see you bought your Sunday best here, D. It's awesome. We've got air conditioning now. That's good. Uh, but... Uh, <laughs> The youngest boy, why don't, you, uh, why don't you tell us about some stories and some thoughts? Thank you, Pastor Scott. <laughs> G'day, everybody. Um, I got told we only had 10 minutes, um, and I'm assuming Luke will talk for eight of those, so I'll be very quick. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's true. Uh, I've always wanted to do this. G'day, North. G'day, Melbourne. G'day, online. <laughs> Thank you for joining us today. <laughs> Uh, actually, Melbourne and uh, is not online right now, but there was this potential, great potential. Sorry, right, it was good. Felt good. Um, all right, I'll keep it short. This fella to my right is the sentimental one, so he'll make you feel all the feels. Uh, Luke will give you some very impacting story too, so I'll just tell you a quick story about that. Um, we grew up playing soccer, all three of us. Um, and that's where I get, I get my competitive spirit for this man. Um, to this day, I still embarrass my brother when I play with him because I always tell somebody else how I feel about them from the other team. Um, but one instance in particular, we always, always got drilled into us if we weren't getting a red card, we were doing something wrong, we weren't aggressive enough. Um, so one day, it was towards the end of my incredible career, may I say, um, that it was one game, I went in, and I'll be honest, I purposely tried to hurt someone, did a really bad tackle, because I'd never got a red card. Um, I injured the guy, the ref gave me a yellow card, I legitimately turned to the ref and said, can you please give me a red card? My dad's on the sideline. <laughs> Again, pre-Christian days, pre-Christian days. I don't think so, you used to say every game, Daniel, what's the A word, what's the A word? Be aggressive. <laughs> glad, On the glad, field. Glad you clarified what word that was. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, yeah, so me and Scott were kind of talking um, pre-today and uh, just wanted me to share on one thing I've learned from Dad, I guess, over the years. And um, it's kind of been alluded to already a lot um, 
But for me, it was probably uh, just the ability to value others. Um, one thing we were always taught growing up was to try and uh, try and leave something or return something better than we found it or were given. Um, I definitely couldn't live up to that, but <laughs> I tried my best. Um, but yeah, uh, just in regards to um, one thing I've really learned is when you're meeting someone new or hanging out with someone, just trying to deposit something um, of value into their life. Um, and I think we can all uh, testament to the fact that we've seen Dad do that over the years in so many people's lives. And um, yeah, for me, it's just trying to uh, leave uh, someone better off than when I before I hang out with them. And you've really modeled that to us. And then obviously... The other thing for me is Dad's never left us um, wanting. Like he's always done, been there for us. Um, and yeah, he, no matter what it is that uh, we've picked up or new hobby we've found, Dad's always supported us uh, to the best of his ability. And really appreciate that. There you go, sentimental. <laughs> <laughs> so awesome. Well, for me, I think. Now that I've got uh, a young family, I'm starting to see, you know, that saying where you think it'll never happen to you, but you become your parents. Uh, that has happened regularly recently with parenting my kids. But one of the good things about that is understanding the values that have been instilled in us. And I love, Dad, that you've always taught us that, you know, it's not just a church value, but people are our priority. And you've lived your life in a way for other people. And you know, I found when I got married that I was more selfish than I thought I was, and then kids came along and you really realize how selfish you are because you don't have any time for yourself anymore, but I discovered in that journey of what I have as an opportunity to deposit into my kids that you did for myself, but not just for our family. I think church has always been amazing, but our family and church life is one and the same. It's not separate, but I love how you've, I guess, mastered this commitment to make every environment, as has already been said, the most important. And uh, that, that selflessness is what I guess I've loved the most and what I'm finding I'm trying to create in my family dynamic. And there's a scripture in the book of Philippians and it says this, don't allow self-promotion to hide in your hearts, but in authentic humility, put others first and view others as more important than yourself. Abandon every display of selfishness. Possess a greater concern for what matters to others instead of your own interests. And I feel like you live that out on a daily basis. You've taught us to live that out. And if we together collectively, you know, band together and do life for other people, we'll see something significant take place. And I believe because of that, our society here in Auckland, over in Melbourne, wherever you go, wherever we go, we're enriched because of the culture of this commitment that people will always be your priority. And I love that even though it's been one and the same, we've never had to feel like we've gone without because we've been in the journey together. And I just thank you for your selfless heart and your selfless uh, commitment to say it's not about us, it's about others. And I'll always be challenged, I think, as a human being to err on the side of selfishness, but to say, you know what, it's not about what I can get, but it's about what I can do for other people. And so I want to thank you for living your life that way continually and, and, and continually challenging me to do the same. So love you. No, I just wanted to um, highlight some of the things that have always been from the 38 years that I've known you. 
37 years that we've been married, but things that have never changed about you that have always been there. And you've always been a life-giving person right from the very moment I met you. you uh, people really are your priority. It's not a tagline that is part of our values here at Life. It's who you are. They have always been and always will be your priority. You have always been a person that has given beyond yourself at the detriment to yourself. You have always been somebody that has given no matter how you feel or no matter how people may have hurt you or misunderstood you, you've always given over and beyond back to them. You've always been a believer for more. You have been content with now or happy with now, but always lived for the over and above of what God can do in the future. Always been kingdom-minded. Um, never once have I heard you talk against uh, another person doing church life or grow, you know, building church. You've always cheered them on and been a champion to them with the generosity of who you are as a person to uh, cheer them on in the best that they can do as well. You're always lifting the bar, which is a good and bad thing. Not good when you are on the treadmill at the gym beside you because you're looking at how fast I'm not going compared to you, but... Uh, <laughs> But it's always, you can always do better attitude that you have and because you want everybody to know that they can, God deserves the best, not a perfection thing, but God deserves our best. Um, you've always had a desire to represent Jesus well to others. You live with the conviction that you are an, an ambassador for Christ. That's how you live your life. Uh, you, and you're always a, a defender of the church. Like I said, that uh, the church is the hope and the cornerstone of society and you live lived out your life for that. Always believe the best for and in others. You're always looking to pull out, which has been alluded already through the boys and whoever's been up here today, that you've always looked for the best and tried to encourage and pull that out of others. Always put 110% into all you do. You're a hardworking person with just incredible ethics and you steward what God has given you in your hands so well. And always mindful of detail, which can sometimes be painful, but it's the benefit of all of us here today in this beautiful building that we are in here, south, north. It's because um, you are a details person and thanks to you, we are all benefit from that. And you've always deferred to Jesus. You're a true worshipper. You never want the glory for yourself. And you have always had that little bit of naughty because it's just who you are, but in a good way. And Come we love on. you. Can we honour this incredible family whose God has given us to lead our house? You know, as I'm sitting here with a different last name, but what I learn out of this is regardless... <laughs> keep your hands to yourself, mate. Uh, regardless of my natural family environment, I can always look to someone who can I, I can invest in in the next generation. And Pastor Paul's up here with his three sons, but we wouldn't be able to fit on this stage the spiritual kids that he has and he's invested into. And that's not a Pastor Paul call, that's a Christian call yeah. to invest into the next generation and do things. Can we honor these guys one more time? Amazing. You know, the Apostle Paul uh, said that there are many instructors but few fathers. And what I've loved about 
uh, Pastor Paul, over probably the last five to six years is the amount of times he has got up both here and outside of our church when he's speaking to people and say, I just want to talk to you as a dad. And at 60 years old, there's a few lessons and there's a few gems in life that we could grab a hold of and live for us. So I want to spend a couple of minutes just talking to you about some of the things in your world. I'd love to start with you often uh, talk about that voices in your world and the people who you allow to influence your world is one of the greatest determiners as to what your future looks like. And how have you managed uh, the right, getting the right voices in your world at the right times? And then sometimes those voices change. What was right in one season is not right in the next season. How have you managed over 60 years to get the right voices into your world? Well, can I first say just what an honour it is uh, to be with our church family and for you to be a part of this again north down south here at central and uh, you know I, I keep saying to people all the time none of us ever arrive and here at life we are committed to the reality of what we go through and how we can learn from that and together we're stronger but I think that's a it's a big question Scott I uh, for me uh, I have no doubt whatsoever and I think it's from cover to cover in the bible that your environment shapes your perspective the voices in your life are of primary importance because you allow negativity be around you, you will end up negative. Uh, you uh, need to decide uh, if you're willing or not to be subjected to the right kind of voices. Uh, again, hitting 60 for some years now, many people have said, you're a father in the faith. And I go, well, as a father, I'm going to love you unconditionally, but also I'm going to be honest with you. Because if we don't get honesty, often we surround our people with like voices, and that's not always the best thing. We need people that can be objective, unemotional, uh, that will really believe the best for us and tell us that. And so for me, it's very important as the church is growing and there's been more and more responsibility that I've had people that are further down the track in faith, further down the honesty level. You know, some people love us so much, they don't really tell us what they see. And so, you know, I just would say you have to keep that sharp. And uh, some people make a decision not to grow. So they were a right voice for a season, but they've stopped growing. And so therefore you still can love them, but they aren't the go-to people for the instruction and the adjustment of perspective. We're in a world that's changing if we just listen to what's around us and not allow the absoluteness of the word of God. We're going to veer off course. And so for me, I think it's so important that whatever stage or season you're in at life, you've got people that are where you want to go with the license to speak into you honestly and not to get offended at that, but say, no, I want to grow. So even though I don't see it, maybe I need to listen to that. And every season should have an adjustment of what voices are there. If there are people that were once the right voice now may not have a faith capacity to speak into the next season. You still love them. You still can do some life with them. But there is that commitment to be mentored by those that have the God wisdom. And, you know, I just call it fruitful kingdom objectivity. I need fruitful kingdom objectivity in my life uh, so that uh, I can confront the things I need to confront my humanity. I can grow in the things concerning the kingdom. Yeah, awesome. Carrying on on that vein, there there are voices in terms of a human voice that is needed. But one of the hallmarks of your life and our church, the story of our church, is 
is getting something from God. You've often said what is birthed in your spirit can't live in your soul. Uh, and getting something from God, this building is something is a result of getting something from God. And the South journey is getting something from God. And we hear of the Paul of the teenage years riding to school on your bike, getting a sense that God wants to use my life and there is a track that my life is on. And for three decades now, three plus decades, you have stuck with that. I was thinking uh, as I was preparing to, for today, our church is 28 years old this year and Pastor Paul is 60. That means for almost half of his life, he has said yes to God day in and day out. And we live in a world where there is a plethora of options. And you've often said that there's been phone calls from overseas from bigger and better opportunities, but you've stayed true to that internal, no, this is what God has asked me to do. How have you done that? Because for, for, for all of us, there is, a, there is a true north in God. How, how have you stayed true for decades to what God's asked you to do? Yeah. It's an amazing thing when you make a decision that what God has given to you, you're going to live out. It's actually freeing. I think we're in even a Christian world globally that is moved by so much stuff that opportunity seems to be the answer. If I get that opportunity, then I'm going to be really happy. Rather than going, opportunity can be the most distracting thing in life. To live out your God design is what brings completeness to any individual. So as a teenager, when my friends were talking about what they wanted to do for the first time, I knew that God wanted me to serve the church. So I settled that. As a teenager, it wasn't kind of, well, what if it doesn't work? That's what I'm going to do. All the way through life for the last 27, the reason we came back to New Zealand is God asked us to do it. And that didn't mean if it's good enough, we'll do it, or if we get what we want, we'll do it. It's like God gave it to us. And I, I, do, I do think too many of us are living by inspirations. We need more and more inspirations rather than getting revelation building our lives on the absoluteness of God. And most of us are designed to exist within a larger vision and just to settle that and to serve God in that. And so for me, uh, you know, I've often joked around for many years. I said, well, God literally spoke to Marie and I about leaving Australia and coming to New Zealand. So God would have to do something more profound to move us on from here. Because there are hard times. There are times where you don't feel you have what is needed. There are great disappointments. But if we live out of the substance of who God is. In fact, I had a thought after the first service is all of us need to uh, experience God's presence. Many of us are yet to experience God's person. Which is his character. Because then you don't second-guess God. Then you don't distrust God because you've experienced this. You can be in church your whole life, be a pastor's kid, and maybe have experienced the presence, but have you experienced God's person? He, he's the I am God. He doesn't change. He's not the one that creates anything that is detrimental. Come on. And then thirdly, God's purpose. Until you find God's purpose and live that out, you'll always struggle. You can build the greatest house, you can have the greatest job, you can make the most money, you can have everybody giving you applause, but unless you're living your God design, you're never going to have consistency. So we need the presence, we need to understand the persons. There's a message coming that's going to come up in a few weeks. <laughs> and, and we do, and, and we need to get in alignment. So we, I, I've, we're far from perfect, I've made many mistakes, but since a teenager, I've been living God's design. And I feel a completeness 
that I wish most Christians would find. Anyone thank God for a pastor who on a a couch chat can inspire us to live bigger and better. It's amazing. You know, every time I hear you talk or we hear you talk about your life, and it always comes back to people. Whether building this building or services or getting the chance to work closely with you whenever we're planning anything or talking about anything, it's always, is it best for people? And people are our priority is is who you are, and it's, it's why it's who we are. But over 60 years, surely there's been hurt and disappointment and people have let you down, and you're known as the, the smiling preacher. How have you kept that smile, not as just a facade, but there's a genuine belief and commitment to people with being let down and hurt over the story, over the journey of your life? How, how have you done that? For me, I had to learn that... Uh People that hurt you don't usually lie awake in bed at night scheming how to hurt you. Hurt is an echo of hurt. And so if you understand your own humanity and you understand your own frailty and your own weakness, then you'll never sit in a place of judgment. The people that judge out loud and point the finger at other things is because they don't understand the grace that God's given them. And I think for us, it's kind of like we've just made a decision. Are we going to live a ministry life, which so many pastors do with lots of weight, or are we going to live free? So therefore, people can do what they like, but our role is not to render evil for evil, but good for evil. It's to bless those that curse you. It's to turn the other cheek. It's to, and we haven't always got that right, but it's kind of like, well, you may have hurt, but that hurt comes from somewhere. You're not ours, you're God's. So if we can bless you, even in the hard times, we're going to find a freedom. I'm, I, I'm riddled with people matter. I mean, I'm sitting over there this morning and said to one of the team, why are those curtains still closed? We're, we've talked about, you know, when we get 80% full, open it up because people are going up and down the stairs all the time. And I'm thinking, flip and heck, come on. They may be first time to church. Make it easy for them. I still see curtains sort of to the sides there where people can't see. And it's like people are literally our priority. But we've got to learn that we are the only Jesus that most people see. Come on, Christians should love each other. We should be doing things. And so I I just realized that my job is not to judge a person's response. My job is to love them. And then those that are entrusted to us, we will give them wisdom and input to see the best of God in them. But if people choose to move on, I'm not going to carry that. It's kind of like that God's, they're not mine. As long as you're here at life and you choose to be here, I'll treat you like a dad. I'll shepherd you. I'll be honest with you. We will work everything to see God's best for you. If you choose to go on, then we're free from our responsibility towards you. And let's just love people and say, hey, there is an environment like today has been. It's amazing that we're a church family. We're in it together. We're in it for each other in the name of Jesus. Amen. Maybe just one closing question. What would 60-year-old Paul say to 25-year-old Paul, 35-year-old Paul, and 45-year-old Paul? Because I I think there's a bunch of people in here who are at those stages in life, and we'd love to steal some of your experience and implement it now, learn from your pain, as it were. Uh, So what would 60-year-old Paul say to 25, 35, and 45-year-old Paul? Well, I had this in the first service, so I've had a little time to think. 
But uh, if you put those three categories, you're really beginning out. You're in the beginning stages, you're in the middle stages, or you're in the latter stages. I think uh, I would say to those in the early stages of life, you know, around that age, before, in that age, is that there are no long-term shortcuts. We're in an age where it's like, well, I want everything for me and I want it now. And it's kind of like, I was like that as a 19-year-old. We're going to change the world for Jesus. And uh, then I had a lecturer tell me that Jesus was 30 before he did anything. I said, well, that's Jesus. We can make a difference. (laughs) Only to realize that there are no long-term shortcuts. You've got to live today well. You've got to walk through the seasons to get the perspective of God that God wants to take you on a journey that it's actually not about the outcomes. It's about the process. Get the process and the principles ingrained in your heart. There's victory in heaven. But we are all results driven rather than going, yeah, I'm going to believe in faith. But the term, the timing is not mine, it's God's. There are long, no long-term shortcuts. If you're in the middle seasons, I'd go, don't allow what you've been through to isolate you. Uh, we only have to do a little bit of life to realize that things hurt us. We only have to get busy with, you know, now paying for the house and raising the children and all the things that go on. And before we know it, we're in this isolated world. Yeah, we come to church, but we're our own mantra. We're the one that decides everything about who we are. And I would say to a middle stage person, realize that you were created for partnership. You are somebody that has huge potential, but you can't do it on your own, no matter how gifted you are. That when you come into the depth of relationship where you can be told and you can tell, where you can receive and give, where somebody will love you enough to say, come on, you've got to get rid of that attitude and you've got to keep building the kingdom. It's where you come alive on the inside. And then if you're in the latter seasons, I would say, always remember your best is in front of you. That the wisdom that you've learned, if you haven't picked up baggage and made it yours, then you're going to be in a place where you can bring wisdom forever. I look at the church, I try to be a learner. Globally, the church is all on, talking about ministries and then all off. Well, we're going to build by God's grace a church where there's great uncles and great aunties and great, great uncles and great, great aunties. And there are granddads and great granddads and fathers. And they might not be taking all the lead of the leadership, but they're going to be there with wisdom in the wings going, we can help change the kingdom into a generational echo. Boy, I'm getting excited about this. Thank you, South, you're with me. But seriously, I want everybody that sort of feels, well, you know, I tried that, didn't work. What's the point? Give up. No, don't give up. Get up. And uh, if I'm 60, you know, I'm working harder at certain things in my life. I have to physically now than I ever have. And you realize you can change the whole way that you are just by a commitment to taking the moment and living the moment out. And so I I just want to say we're a church that needs everybody that's called here to bring the glory of God to a generation. Your failures if you make the right decisions of stepping stones to kingdom significance. And so all of us have got something to share and never write yourself off. Get active, build the king. There are no long-term shortcuts. You can't do it alone. And you've got wisdom that you can bring to others that are going to help them get through some of the things you had to go through yourself. In Jesus' name, amen. So good, so good. You know, I love that. Yeah. I love that statement you just made, take the moment. And before we close up, on behalf of 
the 11 o'clock service and every campus we have, thank you. Thank you for taking your moments. The moments we see and the moments we don't see. But we are living in the fruit of someone who said yes to God and led us and loved us so well. We honour you, we thank you, and we are so grateful for God, to God for you and Marie and the way you've led us. Thank you. Come on, every campus, can we stand to our feet? Honour. You know, I want to uh, today just pray for you, pray for your family. I said to somebody after the first service, uh, we've had the wonder of having a great family, both as a kid and now as parents, now as grandparents. But many of us have not experienced that. And I believe the church ought to have all of the hallmarks of family. Come on, we sit around the table, we laugh, we eat. We have times of discipline, times of growth, but we've got respect for everybody in the family and you know, I just want to announce to everybody at Life, because many of us have given generously to the tragedy of the shootings in Christchurch. And, uh, you know, some Christians say, well, we shouldn't be doing anything. They're Islam. It's kind of like, no, they're God's kid. Yet to discover that there is only one name, which is Jesus, but God created them to know him. And uh, as a church, we've been able to uh, give collectively $100,000 which I think we should thank God for. And each one of those 50 families are going to be presented with something that's tailor-made for them as a family that's going to help them in this time of need. Not just cash, but something that's going to help them as a family that will include whatever's needed. So we're working with Arise, who are in Christchurch, and again... Uh, uh, are actually connected with the leaders of the mosques and have got direct access into the families so we can be assured we can reach every family. And we also felt as a church we want to do something just as a token of appreciation to everybody that's on the, been on the front line of the media through it all that gave so much time. Every one of the emergency people that have been used and utilised, we want them to know that the greater New Zealand family appreciate what they do for us as a country. And uh, they'll have just a token from us here up in Auckland, a church called Life. We just wanted to say thank you. And I, I feel we can just believe that God is going to direct that and show the love of God. Amen. So come on, let's pray. Father, we thank you. Today we stand before you and you're the God that has incredible presence. And God, you want us to experience that presence, but you want more importantly for us to know you. And know the person of who you are, that you can be trusted. You're the healer of broken hearts. You're the restorer. You bring light to darkness and life to death. You're the God that lifts us when we can't lift ourselves and you breathe a hope. And then you show us that we were created and will only find our true fulfillment once we're aligned to what you created us for. And I pray for every family represented here, every individual from those here for the first day through to those that have been serving for 27 years, that God, your protection will be around us, that you'll help us to have the right voices in our life and God, your presence will go with us. We pray for the future of our nation as we stand in the middle of her and we pray, God, that we will be in the generation that will see the church become the cornerstone of society, that the name of Jesus unapologetically will be lifted high and all people will know there's a God that loves, heals and forgives. In the name of Jesus, amen. Thank you.
hope you enjoyed this podcast from Life. If you have any questions or want to contact someone about this message, visit lifeau.org.